You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. God who sought you out. It was God who sought me out. It was God who reached down to you and offered his sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We were estranged from God. We were enemies of God. We were aliens. We were afar off. Yet in all, he continued to love us. Even in the midst of our sins, he loved us with an everlasting love. He loved us with a love that will never fade away, a love that will never fail, a love that will never disappear. In today's message, Pastor Dave will draw our attention to the parallels between David's actions toward his friend Jonathan's son and the love that Christ has given us. David was far from perfect, just like you and me, yet God used him to share his supernatural love, and he wants to use you in the same way. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 10. As he begins his message, David defends God's honor. Second Samuel chapter 10 today. We're moving along, cruising in Second Samuel. We've been having a joyous time seeing what David has been up to. This is probably one of the last weeks where it's going to be real up because starting next week, things take a slide. So we'll deal with that when we get there, and we'll talk about those things. So in the last couple of weeks, David has been riding pretty high. He's been receiving many, many blessings from the Lord. Remember last week we said he was at the pinnacle. He was at the pinnacle, the highest point, not only of his reign as king, but the highest point of his life. And unfortunately, everything now is going to go downhill. We'll talk about that next week. Things have been going well for David. Things have been going well for the nation Israel. The Lord has given him rest over all his enemies. The Lord has blessed them abundantly, given them the Davidic covenant, which we talked about at length. Showing him great kindness. And now David wants to show that kindness to others. We studied last week, David did begin showing this kindness to a man named Mephibosheth, who was Jonathan's son. If you remember that David kept his word to Jonathan, because in 1 Samuel 20, he and Jonathan made a covenant. They made a pact with each other that when David became king, he would not harm any of Jonathan's descendants. He will not cause them harm. And now David is keeping his word. David is keeping his word. He took Meshivasheth from a desolate place. He took him from a place of dryness, a place of rocks and sand, a place where nothing grows. He brought him into the palace. He brought him into the palace and treated him like a prince. David restored Meshivasheth, his property, and invited him to eat at the royal table. Beautiful picture of God working in our lives. David demonstrated his kindness to Jonathan's son. And here David becomes a type of Christ. You know about types in the Bible? We've talked about them many, many different times. But in this instance, David becomes a type of Christ through whom God showed his great mercy and grace towards us. We too have been taken from a desolate place. 
We too have been taken from a place of spiritual dryness. We too have been taken from a rocky place, a sandy place where nothing was growing spiritually in our hearts. We too have been pulled out of the muck and mire and we have been placed into God's marvelous light solely by the blood of Jesus Christ. And through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we too have been restored. Our hearts have been renewed. We've been changed. We've been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. We too have been made princes and princesses. We too are now children of God. We've been given that call by God Almighty. We too have a new home. It's a beautiful place reserved for us in heaven. And finally, we too are going to eat at the royal table. We too are going to attend the marriage supper of the Lamb, the marriage feast of the Lamb. And we will be sitting there with our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ, having a feast. Mephibosheth thought David was his enemy. Thought David hated him because of his father, Saul, or his grandfather, Saul. It was David that made the first move toward Mephibosheth. He sought him out and he reached out to him. And likewise, it was God who sought you out. It was God who sought me out. It was God who reached down to you and offered his sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We were estranged from God. We were enemies of God. We were aliens. We were afar off. Yet in all, he continued to love us. Even in the midst of our sins, he loved us with an everlasting love. He loved us with a love that will never fade away, a love that will never fail, a love, love that will never disappear. In Romans 8, you know the verse, 5 verse 8, God demonstrated his love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died on a cross. So now as we come to chapter 10, David wanted to show the kindness that he showed to Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. He wanted to show that love to the Ammonites because their king had died. Their king had died. And he tried to show this love to them, but instead of them receiving his kindness, it went to war. So as we look at verses 1 and 2, we see the setting up of this chapter. It happened after this, after David showed kindness to Jonathan's son, after this, that the king of the people of Ammon died, and Nanum, his son, reigned in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Nanum, Nanun, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent by the hand of his servants to comfort him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the people of Ammon. David wanted to show kindness. He wanted to show respect to his neighbor now who had died. Nahash, king of the Amorites. And in 1 Samuel 11, we find that Saul's very first victory was over him and over the Amorites. But it says that David wanted to show him kindness as he showed kindness to David. We, we can't find that anywhere. It's not clear how he became friendly with the Ammonites. But it's believed, and this makes sense, although not scriptural, so we really can't make it dogmatic, but it's believed that when David was in exile, he was trying to gain all the friends he could so that when he took over power, these people would not be his enemies. And it makes sense. He was making a network. In fact, the phrase show kindness 
actually means to make a covenant. And when you make a covenant with one person and another, you're making a peace treaty, so to speak. You're making a plan for the future. So that's what is believed that David did this. So David wanted to repay, repay his friend by paying his respects and bringing comfort to his son. His son was now on the throne, and David thought that he could make a covenant now with the young king. It was smart on David's behalf to want to do this. So David sends some of his servants over as ambassadors to the Ammonites. They wanted to console and comfort him in the name of David. We come in the name of David to bring you comfort and to bring you peace and to say we are so sorry for the loss of your father. These ambassadors were sent out from Israel, but they represented the king. What's interesting to me is that David wasn't content to feel kindness for him. David wasn't content to just feel kindness towards Hanum. He wanted to bring some kindness to him. And I got to thinking about this, and we should give this some thought too. It's one thing to feel kindness towards someone, but when your kindness is demonstrated in actions, it takes a different mold. You understand what I'm saying? Sharing the love of Christ is not just with words of kindness. Sharing the love of Christ is an action. It's an action that we should partake of. In fact, James writes about this when he's talking about dead works or faith by works. That James is talking about this. In chapter 2 of James, in verses 15 and 16, he says this, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Now, remember, in the context in which that's written, James is talking about faith without works is dead. He's talking about that. And what he's saying here is, he's speaking about the things that, it means that when you see a person in front of you, and they have great need, and you have the means to help them, and you're friends with them, or you love them, or they're brothers and sisters, or whatever, it says if a brother or sister, if you see them, and then you don't do that. All you say is, depart in peace, be warm and be filled. It's the declaration that has something behind it. Does your declaration of faith have something behind it? You hear what I'm trying to say here? You hear what I'm trying to say? Works don't save me. I will never be saved by works. There's only one work that was accomplished, and that was the work on the cross by Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that will save me. Only thing that will save me. So I can't bank on my good looks or good works or anything like that. It's only faith that I'm saved. But then faith becomes an action in which I act out my saving grace. I act out that grace that God has given to me. And if I don't have the works that correspond to what I'm declaring, I don't have that faith. The verbal affirmation isn't enough. It won't do. Now, a lot of people make mistakes. They go forward and they say the sinner's prayer. They say the sinner prayer and they go away and they, their life never changes. Their life is exactly the same as it was when they came forward and say the sinner's prayer. Why? Because they think they believe by saying the prayer they were saved. Sinner's prayer does not save. Only belief in Jesus Christ saves. 
a believing knowledge of Jesus Christ as the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins, for my sins, for the sins of the world, that's what saves you. Saying a prayer doesn't save you. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I saved, I went forward. No, it doesn't save you. It's a living faith though. It's a living faith. And when the Holy Spirit moves you and you come into that living faith, your walk is going to be matched up by your talk. So you can't go by and see someone in need, be filled, brother, and walk away. James is saying, this is wrong. There has to be an action here. Your works must be in accordance to what you speak. And this is what we see David now is doing. David's showing the kindness of God. He's not doing this of his own strength. He's doing this of the Holy Spirit. He's showing the kindness of God to these people who were once his enemies, they thought. He's showing this kindness because God has showed him so much kindness. Notice when chapter 10 comes. Now, this is going to sound stupid, but chapter 10 does come after 7, 8, and 9, okay? Now, we all understand that, but there's a reason. If you look the way it built up, 7, 8, and 9 was all about what God was doing for David. And now you see David wanting to show that kindness to God. So the picture is here, we need to show the kindness of God, God's grace to others, especially in the house of God. Especially to our brothers and sisters. Especially. Now, I know, the, I know the scriptures, and you can throw them back at me. Don't throw your pearls before swine and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you need to use discernment when you're dealing with the outside. I agree. You need to use discernment maybe even when you're dealing with the inside. But you get the gist of what I'm trying to say, I hope. David demonstrated his kindness through his actions. It was demonstrated, and you could see that. Why are you being so kind to me? But why are you doing this for me? I'm sure that was what Mephibosheth was thinking. Why is he doing this? What is going on here? But in verse 3, the king gets bad counsel. The king gets bad counsel. Now, I don't know who these dudes are. They're hanging around the king here. But if I was this king, well, he doesn't hang around very long. I'd get rid of them. Well, these guys are bad. Let's read verse 3. And the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanum, their lord, do you think David really honors your father because he has sent comforters to you? Has David not sent his servants to you to search the city, to spy it out, to overthrow it? Now, it didn't just occur to me until I just read it again. Sometimes you have to read a verse about 9,000 times before something happens. But when I was reading that, the only thing in my mind, the only thing that was in my mind was this Serpent looking at Eve in the eye and going, has God really said you'll die if you eat of that tree? That's what I got in that mind when I was just reading that a minute ago. These counselors are saying, well, wait a minute. They tell the king that David's trying to trick them. David's trying to spy on them. I wonder why they said this about David. People are always suspicious. They are. They're always suspicious of other people. Why are we so suspicious of other people? Especially people we don't know. You know, false men are always ready to think false because they're feeling false about somebody else, so they think everybody feels false about them. Think about it. They have bad feelings toward their friends and neighbors, and they're determined not to believe that their neighbors could have any good feelings toward them. I have a word for this, folks. Paranoia. Paranoia. 
<laughs> I was talking. I was talking to Mark today when I was studying today. And I got. I get off a of goofy tangents. You have to understand who I am. But the phony thing I heard in my mind was the kink song, "Paranoia Self Destroyer." That's all I heard. Oh, I heard that in my mind. I now, none of you probably even know who I'm talking about. So, but I know. Paranoia. Paranoia will eat your mind away. Paranoia will chew at your brain and eat your mind away. Paranoia is nothing more than bondage of the mind. It's bondage of the mind. Christ has come to set us free from all bondage. He has come to set us free from anything that is of bondage. In fact, Paul wrote about that in that beautiful chapter 8 of Romans. In chapter 8 and verse 15, Paul says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption to whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We don't have a spirit of fear. We don't have a spirit of bondage. We have a spirit of hope and joy in Christ Jesus where we can call God Abba, Father. An endearing term. But paranoia will just eat away at your brain. Living as a child of God means an intimate, joyful relationship with God the Father. It's not like the bondage or fear that's, that, that's demonstrated by the law. A child of God can have a relationship so close, so personal, so intimate, that you look at God and go, Abba, Abba, Father. And when we translate Abba, it translates into Daddy. I have a hard time with that <laughs> when I look at this most holy God. But it says, he's my father, my Abba father in that close, deep, deep relationship. And I don't really know the relationship you might have had with your father. But you need to put that aside and think of the relationship you can have with the heavenly father. A father who loves you more than any earthly father could ever love you. And you can have even a better intimate relationship with that father through Jesus Christ. And that's where that intimate relationship comes. Living as a child of God means we've been set free from the bondage and the change of sin. That yoke of sin is no longer on us. That yoke of bondage, that yoke of paranoia is no longer on us. So these great counselors of Hanan, I pronounce his name wrong every time if you've noticed. These great counselors of the king make him or advise him to make a grievous mistake. This is not just a small mistake. This is a large mistake, folks. Let's look what happens. Let's look what the king decides to do from this really wise counsel from his men. Therefore, Hanan took David's servants, shaved off half their beards, cut off their garments in the middle, at their buttocks and sent them away. How do you want to treat these ambassadors that David sent over to us? Should we give them alms? Should we welcome them in? Should we see what they have to say? No, Lord, they're only trying to look at us and take our country. They're, you know, you, you got to be careful, these guys. You know, they're really coming in here. What do we should do? Okay, we're going to shave off half their bales. We're going to cut their garment off in half and so everybody can see they're behind. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> Wise counsel? 
I think not. This was disgraceful to the ambassadors. This was an insult of all insult to the ambassadors from Israel. And according to the Torah and according to Jewish tradition, their beard was a symbol of their masculinity. This became a total act of humiliation to these guys and to their culture. And in this culture, men would rather die than allow you to shave their beard off of them. Because if you had a clean face, it meant you were a slave. Only slaves had clean faces. Only slaves and free men wore beards. There was a big difference. Now, I don't know about in this country, but in those days, when you insulted an ambassador, you insulted the king. You insulted the country. And that's what happened. It's just as if they've done this to David himself. The same principles are true with Jesus and his ambassadors. Jesus reminds his disciples, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. We are his ambassadors. And when we go out and we're reviled against, it, against us, and when people come against us, know that they're not really coming against you. They're coming against our Lord and Savior. And I know that doesn't feel very good when you're the target of their charge and their anger. Look what happens in verse 5. When they told David, he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, wait at Jericho until your beards have grown and then return Wait in Jericho until your beards have returned, and then you can come. David did not want the ambassadors to go back and avenge themselves. David would take care of us. Likewise, the Lord does not want us to be the avenger. Romans 12, 19 and 21 says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. The one who trusts in God will not think it necessary to avenge themselves. Why? Because God is my caretaker. God is the one. You're not reviling against me, you're reviling against my father. You're reviling against my God, my king. And they will leave the issue of vengeance to God, giving no place for their own wrath and a wide place for God's wrath. And as we read through the scriptures, it says, overcome evil with good. And this becomes the mindset. We will do good to our enemies. Bless those that curse you, Jesus says. Jesus went around eating with sinners, eating with publicans. When we see our enemies, we want to look at the most practical way where we can help them. How can we help our enemies the best? Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray that God would just knock them to their knees and bless them beyond belief. Pray that God would give them anything of their heart's desires and really knock them off their horse. This is the way we overcome evil, by, but everything of good. And then in the end of this paragraph, it says, heaping coals of fire on their head. What does that mean? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it depends upon who you talk to but it could refer to giving them a concentrated effort to know God, burning conviction in their heart that might know God. You are
The book of 2 Samuel is a continuation of David's journey to the throne promised him years before. It follows his life and relationship with God, with his family, and with the people entrusted to his leadership. David has much to teach you, and we encourage you to continue studying this Old Testament book. If you missed any part of today's teaching on Assure Hope, or if you'd like to listen to additional teachings from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com today. Maybe today, as you were listening, you found you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions and start you on a journey that will change your life for the better. Give us a call. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. And while you're on our website, visit the page How to Be Saved to read all about the plan of salvation God set up long ago. We'd love to meet you, too. If you're in the area, join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. You can find directions and more information at assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, too. Just follow the link on our page to follow us. We're coming to an end of our time with you today. We're so glad you took the time to study God's Word today with Pastor Dave, and we hope you'll join us next time as we explore deeper into the book of 2 Samuel, right here on Assure Hope.